Hey, how's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show brought to you by AgorasNexus.com. And of course, don't forget to check our friend, Fairly Decent Golf, Bobby. Love you, to, love you to death. Keep up the great work. Some of our merch is being carried by him. So if you want to check it out, definitely appreciate it. Throw some support to our friend who is a great human being. Yes, please. So thank you. Um, hope everybody enjoyed the show last week. What did um, we talk about last week? I don't even remember. <laughs> I don't. I'm sorry. It doesn't matter. All right, then. It doesn't matter. Well, I hope old, you enjoyed it, too. News. Yes. I would like to thank whoever is living in Austria for uh, jumping on. This is the first time I've seen anybody from Austria jump in and download a bunch of episodes. So welcome. Thank you for uh, the support. Appreciate it. And, of course, all of you across the fruited plain, as it were, and the Philippines. Somebody, we have people from the Philippines listening. God bless. Thank you very much. That's God very, bless. That's very nice. It's very nice. So. Now, I don't t- this is not to trip up. Christopher knows that I like to get Angel and like, you know, I like to trip her up and be like, hey, you know, surprise. Guess what? They're not doing that this week. OK, this time we're going to go back a little bit and talk about separatism. So this will be another episode um, in the separatist series we have. We're still in Europe. We might dip out of Europe for a little bit and jump back in. Maybe we'll jump into Asia. Lots of stuff going on in Africa, right? A lot of things to check out. We're not even through a quarter of this stuff. And again, if, you're, if your uncle Frank or your cousin Frank thinks they started their own country in a trailer park and they like, print their own currency on the back of like, you know, camel C notes that they get in the back of cigarettes back in the day, that's not going to count. We're not going to talk about Frank and his fake Republic of Trailer Pakistan. That's not going to work. Um, we're talking about legitimate separatist movements. Now, Angel. Yes. Have you heard of Corsica? Yes. Do you know where Corsica is? I don't right off the top of my head, but I've heard of it. How have you heard of it? I, through things. <laughs> through things. Come on, tell me. I don't know. I don't know. I know that it's a place. It is a place. So like, but I can't tell you why I know it right now. I I really don't know. I can't. I don't even know where it is right now. I bet you you've heard of it because of somebody famous who came from there. Maybe. Napoleon. Probably. That's probably how I know it. That's probably it right there, right? So where Corsica is, is south of France and north of Sardinia and Sardinia Every time I hear Sardinia, I do think of sardines. I absolutely do. Every single time. Yep. Yep. Without fail. Uh, these are two islands in the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, Corsica being part of France and Sardinia being part of Italy. However, we're going to be talking about both of these in the context of independence movements, separatist movements. Corsica a little bit rougher than Sardinia. Okay. Sardinia doesn't have as much violence. In fact, I don't know if anybody knows this, but recently, as as of last year, and it's fired up a couple of times this year, there has been unrest on the island of Corsica. So in March of 2022, I know 2022 from February on, it was pretty overshadowed about what's going on in Eastern Europe. Wink, nod, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, France saw protests in response to a prison attack on nationalist leader Ivan Colonna. Rallies in the main city of Ayacho, Calvi, and Bastia that descended into violent clashes between police and protesters. Protesters threw stones and flares at gendarmes, 
resulting in 77 police being injured and 25 protesters from the Corsican nationalist movement being injured. So this Ivan Colonna was a Corsican nationalist arrested in 2003 for the 1998 murder of Corsican prefect Claude Arignac. Colonna is a hero among many Corsicans, has become a symbol of Corsican nationalism. On the 2nd of March of 2022, Cameroonian jihadist inmate started beating Colonna in his prison cell, seriously injuring the latter and sending him into a coma. His attack sparked a series of riots in Corsica. Colonna died at the hospital of his wounds on the 22nd of March, 2022, at the age of 61. So on March 9th, windows were smashed and the courthouse of Ajaccio. I don't know how to pronounce that. You have to forgive me because there's a little bit of I Italian in here. That's all right. I couldn't remember where Corsica was. Fair enough. You're fine. It's all right. Uh, A bank was also damaged. Not a problem with a hijacked mini excavator. On the 10th of March, many projectiles were thrown at police outside a Calvi government building. Same night, cars were set on fire in downtown Ajaccio. Rioting flared up again on the 13th of March. Seven to 12,000 protesters marched in the streets in defense of Ivan. Protests spiraled into riots, and the cops sprayed demonstrators with tear gas and water cannons as rioting continued. And then rioters in Bastia attacked numerous infrastructure, including a local post office and tax office. Now we're talking. Police officers said that 67 people have been injured in total. 44 of them were members of the police number was later revised to 102 injuries with a total of 77 police injuries. The National Front Liberation Front of Corsica announced on the 16th of March that they supported the demonstrators and saw that as a last straw that would result in an insurrection that could renew Mm. their militant campaign against the French government. Okay, now let's get into the meat and potatoes of all of this. Okay. So we have to go back a little bit further. Now, you hear the names that we mentioned, including Napoleon Bonaparte. It's not a very French-sounding name. That's a very Italian-sounding name, right? Well, there's a reason for that, okay? So, like, Corsican particularity goes back to about the mid-1700s. It was fought over by the Genoese Republic, you know, the ones that are in Italy, Right? and the Kingdom of France. Pasquale Paoli led a rebellion of Corsicans against various foreign powers that were trying to contest with each other for control of the island, founding a short-lived independent state governed from Corte. Inspired by the Enlightenment political ideas being uh, more fashionable across the continent, Paoli set up a liberal constitutional republic. The assembly, the Diet, was elected through universal manhood suffrage. No women. Sorry, ladies, with evidence to suggest that female suffrage may have also existed. However, there is no proof of this whatsoever. Paoli's practical exercise in enlightened constitutional government was inspired by thinkers such as Voltaire and Rousseau, but in turn inspired them, being the sole example of their political philosophies to put into practice until the American Revolution a decade later. The French conquest of 1767 put an end to the experiment, with the exception of a brief British separate government from France during France's tumultuous wars of revolution. The island was incorporated into the kingdom of France. The memory of the brief period of self-rule kind of would inspire later generations to get after it. So 
you have this thing called the Fin de Cecile and the interwar between 1890 and 1940, like the direct involvement of France. And you know, there's the phony war from 39 to 40. Well, you know, 40 is when the Germans really were very upset with the French and finally said that's enough of that. And about six weeks later, it was all over. Right. So first stirrings of consciousness of a distinct regional way of life in Corsica. First idea is that regional culture should be reflected in distinct political specific institutions with Corsica in an agricultural depression, however, misruled by powerful local political bosses. Imagine that. Subject to mass emigration, devastating rural communities, and increasingly confronted by culture from France, which was trying to get them to assimilate more into regular French uh, centralization, both administratively and culturally. Uh, Stirrings began of a movement that wanted to defend Corsican language and its way of life. So in 1896, uh, there was a newspaper called Beyond the Mountain, a small group of intellectuals remained a minority within the political landscape of the time, folks. New Generation carried the torch, founder of a CRISPA newspaper in 1914, which made the first demands for Corsican political separatism. Corsica is not a department of France, they said, is a nation that has been conquered and shall rise again. World War I generated the audience for these previously marginal ideas. Imagine that. Once again, it all goes back to that. Conscription affected agrarian communities more than industrial ones. The death toll for France rural regions was consequently higher than a national average. With Corsica, the department with the highest ratio of, of casualties per capita. And you see this right now with Russian casualties out in that you know thing that's going on in Eastern Europe where you have folks from outlying territories and provinces way out in the deep in the cut, as Christopher would say, because the uh, hoity-toity metropolitan types are not going to get thrown into that just yet. Same thing here in World War I with Corsica, right? Trauma of losing lots of young men in these small village communities caused many Corsicans to begin questioning the French state. For some, this prompted a desire for greater administrative decentralization with the French Republic, and for a few, a trigger desire to work towards an independent Corsican state, and yet for others, along with a uh, perception that neighboring Italy being uh, regenerated under a dynamic modern regime, prompt the desire to integrate into fascist Italy. Probably not a smart move. These different ideas were centered on the Corsican nationalist newspaper, the Mouflon. Hostility to the French state grew following military operations in the island in 1930 to root out a popular bandit, Spada. Okay? So Spade is running around causing problems, and the French were like, that's enough of that, all right? So let's take a look at the Corsican conflict. This basically starts on the 4th of May of 1976 to the present day, all right? So for those of you that are not math majors, that's 47 years of tumult, all right? Not in the way that we have covered other uh, separatist movements on this show. This is not as like you know it's not like the basque right where you have a lot of killing um it's not like you know some of the stuff that we talked about before where it's continual violence for a very long time it pops up the temperature gets elevated people start getting a little nutty things happen right so following the opening salvo on the 4th of may the national liberation front of corsica launched a series of bomb attacks on the island starting on may 20th the series of attacks and the emergence of the Liberation Front coincided with the trial of 10 members of recently outlawed action, Regionalist Corse, 
The prosecutors claimed the men had been involved in shooting dead of two French police officers that summer. During the summer, the revolutionary movement became more active, and on the night of the 17th of July, carried out a fresh wave of attacks, which included a, more, a rocket and mortar attack on the gendarme of Aguillon, which involved the use of American M79 grenade launcher. Nice pick. Even these people went with American equipment. Interesting. Mm-hmm. The increased speculation that the FLNC was being supplied by Libya, those damn Libyans, Showing up again. Anybody Sons remember, of bitches. remember that from fucking uh, uh, Back to the Future was the Libyans in that damn van. <laughs> I don't remember that. I have to take it's your at the word mall. for it. It was at the mall, right? Doc Brown and the and the Lib- and the Libyans. And Michael J. Fox has to write a note to him, you know, and he wore a bulletproof vest. Anybody remember that for Christ's sake? I don't mm-hmm. remember. Christopher they remembers were, I don't that. remember they were Libyans, but okay. I, I have to take your word for it. I don't Libyans were the big bad guy in the 80s for a while. For a while, because of Gaddafi, Reagan sent in the Air Force and bombed. I think he killed one of his kids. But we came, we we saw he died. <laughs> right. Right. Thank Isn't you, that... Mrs. Thank you, Mrs. Clinton. Or did she say we came? He saw he died. No, we came. We saw he died. Okay. It was a really terrible attempt to emulate Caesar's great uh, quote. Um, yeah, she is no Caesar. That's she's for an sure. awful person. She's uh, she's only having Caesar salad. Um. <laughs> so being supplied, not a Waldorf salad. Yeah. Uh, we were at the time being supplied by other revolutionary groups in Europe, including <clears throat> the Irish Republican Army. Well, what are you Who's gonna that? Do? I don't know who that is. Well, oh, they're going to come up in conversation at some point on this series. I'm obviously joking. I know who that is. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, you said, I mean, we were talking about not knowing exactly where Corsica was. I didn't I, want to assume that you knew who that was. I could not think of where okay. it was. Like, I, I know it's a place, <laughs> but I'm like, I for the life of me, it was not in my head. It, like, that happens to me sometimes. I'm like, I know what you're talking about, but... All right. It's not there. Hey, that's okay. That's all right. You knew Napoleon was from there, and that's what's important. Yes. By 1976, September, the FLNC was were attempting assassinations of high-ranking fr- French military officials. In separate incidents in the town of Court, general, a general narrowly missed assassination when his car was riddled with bullets. The driver lost an ear in the attack. Meanwhile, the home of another senior officer in the town was targeted in a bomb attack, and on September 7th, Seven mass military uh, mil- militiamen, excuse me, hijacked and bombed a Boeing 707 parked at Ajaccio's airport. The beginning of 1977 saw little FLNC activity. Like I said, kind of, you know, they disappear, then they reappear, they disappear, reappear. In April, there were a number of attacks on premises associated with Corsican nationalists and FLNC. The attacks were claimed by a new group calling itself Francia. Front de action nouvelle contre l'independence et l'autonomie, or we'll just say Francia. How about that? Although other anti-separatist groups existed in Corsica, Francia appeared to be the only group capable of carrying out actual attacks. On the 14th of May, this group destroyed the printing press of Ariti, a a Corsican nationalist publication, in a bomb attack. The FLNC responded to the attacks on the 24th of May by carrying out a daring raid on the French army outpost of Fort Lacroix near Bastia, where eight armed militants blew up wireless facilities after subduing the sentries. At the beginning of June, they destroyed a large section of Bastia railway station in a bomb attack, and a month later, the FLNC launched an overnight bomb offensive hitting 27 French targets, followed by the bombing of the television relay station at Serra di Pigno. 
On the 13th of January, 1978, nine armed militiamen wearing balaclava, that ski mask for uh, you Americans, us Americans. Mm-hmm. I love the name balaclava, Chris. You know, that's a good name. It's a good word. Balaclava. You know, it sounds like a fish dish from Italy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. What do you have tonight? I'll have the balaclava. Oh, excellent choice, sir. White wine. Uh, uh, it just makes me think of baklava, actually. Well, there yeah. you go. A little Greek there, huh? Greek. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. Delicious. Baklava. Back in the day, Angel had made homemade baklava. And mm-hmm. um, Angel, was that not a labor of love? It was. It definitely was. It's uh, it's not easy to do, especially, you know, with the... Um, I can't think of the name for the pastry. The phyllo dough? <laughs> yes. Yes. So with that, you have to, um, you know, they keep them cold. And, you know, you're doing all of these different layers with the butter and the nuts and the, you know. Honey. The Well, it's like a lemon zest. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, sauce. Very nice. That everything was like freshly made. Like I made like this. I can't remember the recipe off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure I made like a sugar, um, water, lemon zest mixture on the stove. I kind of made a syrup of some sort. Nice. Um, And then like you, you know, obviously you use the nut chopper to chop up all of the nuts and that's like Mm. a a mixture in itself. Nut chopper. Nut chopper. (laughs) Not the kind that we want (laughs) to use on other people. And uh, you, you know, you obviously put a little bit of, um, you know, sugar and and whatnot. I don't remember the recipe. I have it written down. Yes. um, So I don't remember everything off the top of my head and I haven't made it in years, but um, yeah, it's everything was homemade and beautiful. You have to keep putting it like in the, you know, freezer to kind of keep the phyllo dough from getting too mushy because then it like, we can't do the layers right if you don't keep it like frozen or cold enough because it get it starts to get mushy and you can't really work with it too well. I mean, you can, but then you're kind of like fucking it up at that point. So this all from just the word balaclava, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, it triggers good memories. Yeah, it was delicious. I'm, you know what? I might try and uh, make something, yeah. you from, know, from make ski it again. mask popularized by terrorists to a Greek dessert. No. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, like find that recipe and I'm going to see what all I need. And maybe I'll try and make something this weekend. Oh, that would be uh that would be interesting. Yeah. If I do, I'll um save some, I'll put it in the freeze. Okay. Sounds good. We yeah. would appreciate that. And by the way, I want to get while we're on the topic and then I'll move on to what the balaclava cladded individuals did. I heard an Egyptian fellow born in the United States, say that greek food is just a knockoff of egyptian food but they throw yogurt into everything okay i don't know how legitimate that claim is but i'm a little unsettled by this comment okay so as an american like everything that we eat here is that is like americanized in some way shape or form so like i think probably like true true greek food like if you go to a greek festival you probably have had it but like i i think every I mean, I would say that everything that's connected to the Mediterranean in some way probably has a lot of similarities to it. Yeah. Just geographically, you're going to get that, right? Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, it's all in that that region. <laughs> yeah. But, like, you know, it's hard to say for sure, like, at least here, because, like, we kind of put our little spin on everything. Sure. 
you know, and like, like everything. French fries, right? Right, Angel. Like, yeah, we got free. Yeah, they have that in, in Greece, right? Greek French but, fries. You know what I? Yeah. You you guys know a, what I'm a, trying a to palm say. Frites. Yes. Yeah. Palm frites. Like we take like the food and we're like, this is really good. But Let's throw some bacon and some fucking cheese on it, man. Right. right. And then you got yourself whatever Greek dish <laughs> right. with bacon and cheese. Right. And now it's American Greek. So, yeah. you know, we, I don't know. We'll just have to take that guy's word for it. <laughs> make some, make some pasticcio and put some bacon and cheese on it, man. Pasticcio, see. Correcto. Third best. Third best I Italian. No, there was some guy named um uh, stavos avocados from crete <laughs> who just fucking went over to alexandria and he's like huh this is uh this looks pretty good <laughs> but it would be better if we put some yogurt on it what do you guys think and they're like yeah we little, little dollop of yogurt <laughs> you know we're gonna fancy this shit up uh yeah. back to another part of the mediterranean uh see what happens on this show guys we get so we get distracted because we uh, yeah beautiful things and uh, i like snacks what can you say? So these ski mask wearing individuals stormed and bombed a NATO radar station, which is pretty bold, uh, at Solanzara using 40 kilograms, which could be anywhere between a million pounds and five pounds. I don't know what that means of explosives in the so-called Operation Zara. The FLNC suffered a serious setback in 1978 in May when 27 suspected members were arrested both in Corsica and on mainland France. The police stumbled upon, stumbled, not just found out, but stumbled upon FLNC weapons dump in the town of Cardo during an investigation. How embarrassing is that for an ordinary bird? 40 kilograms would be about 88 pounds. Thank you. That's a lot of explosives. Fair enough. Thank you. I would have never known what that was. I'm, I'm, what can you say? I'm, I'm an imperial guy, I guess. I don't know. Freedom units. <laughs> Freedom units. Freedom units. So, so we got these gentlemen wearing baklava on their face with 88 pounds of explosives. <laughs> <laughs> now I understand. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine how sticky their faces must have been? God damn. <laughs> <laughs> Flies and bees and shit all in their face. Oh, man. Uh, Away from me. I have 88 pounds of explosives. This is dangerous. Yeah. Quit moving so much, Francois. <laughs> Francois. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, while at the scene, the police noted men nearby moving what looked like weapons. I wonder how they really, hmm, that is shaped like a rifle. Maybe it is. Um, like I said, sometimes the cops can't find a dick with two hands. The, uh, the incident resulted over 300 people being questioned and more than 60 detained by authorities. Other, suspe- other suspects were picked up in Paris, Nice, and Lyon. In December of 1978, the FLNC increased its attacks on police barracks. One incident, the gendarme base at Borgo was uh, raked with heavy machine gun fire, resulting in a fear that the FLNC would now begin to concentrate its attacks on people as well as material targets. At this time, the FLNC also began to demand that their prisoners be treated as political prisoners. Great. So in the 80s, they started a new offensive in the liberation struggle and advised Corsicans who were members of the police or army to leave the island. On the 10th of March, 10 banks across Corsica were car bombed by the FLNC. Then on the 10th of April, three banks in Paris were also damaged by explosions. And later, the Paris law courts were devastated by a time bomb, which cost over three million francs worth of damage. In the early 80s, marked a decisive change for FLNC policy, similar to the one employed by the Irish Republican Army. The FLNC now described 
decided excuse me, to bring the Corsican problem to the French by carrying out bomb attacks on the French mainland. In uh, May of 1979, the FLNC managed to bomb 20 banks in Paris, and on the 30th of May, more banks were damaged by explosions. The beginnings of June saw the FLNC switch back to activities on the island itself with 25 major explosions, coupled with a car bomb attack on police headquarters in Paris. I didn't. I mean, I had not read about this or heard about this previously. I didn't know this was such a problem. On, in May of 1980, the FLNC bombed the law courts in Paris, also carried out a machine gun attack on four gendarmes who were guarding the Iranian embassy, wounding three of them. They also saw supporters becoming more visible in terms of protests and political activity. The FLNC continued to call for their prisoners to be given political status, mass demonstrations in support of political status for Corsican prisoners were common and the FLNC supporters were active in all protests, which could be classified as Corsican v. French. In November of 1980, 12 FLNC prisoners in Paris went on a hunger strike in a protest against inequality of treatment of Corsican nationalist prisoners, the protests overlapped with that of the six IRA hunger strikes in Northern Ireland. Just look up Bobby Sands if you want to know what that's about. Uh, the Corsican prisoners were force-fed for a number of weeks before they ended their strike. On the 1st of April, 1981, FLNC called a ceasefire for the duration of the presidential elections following the victory of Francois Mitterrand, a socialist, announced that they would extend the ceasefire to see how things develop. We're going to see how this is going to work out, folks. So in September, FLNC announced the end of its ceasefire at a press conference held in the mountains of central Corsica. They condemned the autonomous for attempting to use the usual useless channels of political system and opposed French appeasement policies before stating the armed struggle would resume that the FLNC would not lay its arms down. We're not having that. In August of 1982, the FLNC launched its most spectacular night of violence, so-called Violent Ne Bleu, during which 99 attacks were carried out against government targets. In the mid-80s, the organization all stepped up its attacks against suspected drug dealers, killing four in the space of 12 months in 1986. In 1988, a truce was agreed to by the French government and FLNC, however, the ceasefire did not sit well with certain members of the organization, resulting in a split within the movement. And that's usually how it goes. So in the 90s, it tore the organization tore itself apart. In 1991, the shootout there was a shootout between the FLNC and military gendarmes, and the FLNC commando managed to shoot its way out of an ambush and escape, which is pretty notable. The same year, the FLNC carried out an attack against the refinery on its neighboring island of Sardinia. So they're bringing the fight to the sardines, man. Not having it. In 1996, the FLNC began a Christmas offensive across Corsica. One thing people don't like is being bothered during Christmas. I'm telling you, you're not going to win a lot of votes that way. In, Fig in Figari, the FLNC launched a machine gun attack on the military barracks, while uh, in Zikavo, a grenade attack was carried out on the police, heads, uh, police station. In 1997, the FLNC Canal Habituel faction called a ceasefire, which resulted in Canal Historique faction attempting to take control of the organization and launch a fresh offensive in 1998 the flnc attacked attacked sword excuse me policemen and mayors among the dead the offensive culminated in the assassination of claude Arignac in ajaccio Arignac was the prefect of corsica and the top representative of the fifth french republic on the island so it's a pretty big guy boss the attack was highly publicized and criticized so strongly by the locals that the flnc were forced to deny that they were responsible at first, like, yeah, whoa, I mean, no, no, no. We thought it was somebody else. We're not happy with this either. <laughs> I'm upset, too. 
while consensus for independence reached an all-time low amongst the population, which is 6%, splits, internal feuding, ceasefires, and the breaches of ceasefires have, have characterized the FLNC since 1999. So, a couple flare-ups since then. They had cessation of hostilities officially in 2010, and then in 2022, we talked about um, Ivan Colonna. Once he was murdered, that's when stuff flared up as well. Uh, but since then, it's been pretty relaxed okay once again when we're talking about the corsican nationalist like movement it's very left-wing most of these that you'll find are more of a leftist variety than you will find of a rightist because even in this country when they teach you like oh conservatives will like to i guess you say co-opt the american revolution i know that christopher's heard this lots because he's listened to the same stuff that i have you have a lot of right-wingers or conservatives saying oh you know the, the revolution you know our, our revolutionary ancestors you know they were very right-wing that that is a bullshit statement it's an absolute bullshit statement okay anything that seeks to overturn a monarchy or the natural ruling order is naturally going to be more to the left that's just how it is i'm not saying that they were communists clearly they were not mm -hmm. but rightist ideas have more to do what with status quo right status quo what's interesting about corsica of course talking about napoleon and i know that some people may not like to consider this idea but just think about it this way so napoleon was a revolutionary general or you know he was promoted through the ranks he started as an artillery captain moved his way up very talented arguably one of the most talented military minds of you know the last 400 years right like extremely intelligent right yeah he's taking over basically he takes over revolutionary france and what does he do he becomes the emperor and moves the entire country to the right immediately anytime you throw monarchy or an emperor into the mix immediately moves the spectrum the, the overton window shifts to the right because anything that seeks to to uh get rid of the old order is by na is naturally going to be left wing so that's why when you see these these movements Typically, they're going to be Marxist-Leninist. They're going to be some form Trotskyist, whatever. They're always going to be to the left because it's just, again, you're trying to overthrow the order. And, of course, when you have impoverished areas, and, of course, Corsica is not going to be at the forefront of France's, like, you know, agenda, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's an island in the Mediterranean that they own. You're going to have a lot of poverty. You're going to have, you know, you're not going to get the resources that, say, the Paris suburbs will or Marseille or Lyon or Rhone you know, any of these uh, larger cities, right? Okay. So they're going to be kind of like, they're like the West Virginia of France, right? They're going to be forgotten and nobody gives a fuck about them and they're going to feel those effects. So naturally you're, to, I guess, gain the support of locals, you're going to say, hey, you know, we want equality and all this other stuff and we want equal distribution and naturally that's going to shift to the left anyway. Yeah. I just wanted to throw that in there. Just typically you're going to see that these things tend to move to the left as far as um, as far as uh, uh, revolutionary movements are concerned. And if anybody wants to think like I, I highly encourage if you want to look at the American Revolution from a different lens, don't listen to conservatives talk about it because conservatives try to co-opt it. And we're like, oh, it's, it was a conservative revolution. A revolution is not conservative by nature. They're like if Washington was like, we're going to overthrow the monarchy to establish an even better monarchy. Okay, you would have had a case, you know, mm -hmm. but that's not the case. Okay, when you seek to overthrow the existing order, again, I can't say it enough. You have to think about it that way. Yeah. At least take a look at it. If you don't agree, that's fine. Um, 
Next, their neighbor to the south, another country. <laughs> Sardine. <laughs> Sardinia. Sardines, little fishes. Sardinian armed movement, ladies and gentlemen. Little fishes movements. Yes. Far left movement. With arms and fins. That's right. The Sardinian armed movement was a short-lived terrorist movement <laughs> advocating socialism and political independence for the island of Sardinia. Mainly operated in the Sardinian island, but also in the Italian mainland from 1983 to 1985. The group has been inactive ever since. So like I said, not a lot happening on this one. The group wanted to merge the socialist class struggle elements of local banditry and the separatist aspirations on the island, calling for a Sardinia for Sardinians, God damn it, end quote. They were also, say that in Italian, it's very beautiful. I, don't, I can't do it, not on this show. Uh, because I don't know how. Uh, Orlami. <laughs> see, correcto. Uh, Italian and American military installations on the island. They were against those and to be sold, and they wanted them to be sold to the highest bidder. Everything was actually in accordance with uh, Gian Giacomo Feltrellini's ideas. Who have, it sounds like a guy who runs a restaurant. I'm sorry. When it's, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to eat at that place. You know, <laughs> I'm terrible. I'm sorry who made a failed plan to turn the island into the Mediterranean Cuba in 1968. Really? <laughs> so we want shitty cars, food, I like food rationing, but here. <laughs> this sounds like a great idea. Have you seen what's going on in Castro's Cuba? Hey, everybody has free health care. Yeah, we want that here. Yeah. But, you know, food? I don't know. They seem to struggle. Um <laughs> Some argue that despite the declaration, the, the declared political goals, the group may have been actually more common crime oriented. A group claimed responsibility for a number of homicides, and the group turned out to be these folks, bombings and also kidnappings for ransom, although it's believed that it operated even more fiercely against the Italian armed forces accused of colonizing the island to destroy the morality, way of living, and noble traditions of the Sardinians. Some murders, however, were also performed against some natives besides the so-called Continentals. To name some of their claimed activities, for instance, on the 15th of June, 1983, some bandits barged into a pub in Mamioda and killed with a handgun the owner Claudio Balia, the brother of Pietro Balia, later assassinated in the year of our Lord, 1984, and Alberto Balia, blown up in a bombing attack in Marseille in 1991. Some days later, uh, Gonario, that sounds like gonorrhea. I'm just going to be honest with you. Gonario, like, how did you get that name? Sale, married with a cousin of Bali. It was also mur murdered nearby his sheepfold. Okay? Poor bastard. On the 5th of July, Giovanni Bosco, a mainland priest from Benevento, had been found dead by a gas station in Dorgali. They would also carry out a few attacks on the mainland like in November of 1983 when they kidnapped Anna Bulgari and his, and his son Giorgio Calissoni in Latina Lazio. So there's a little bit of activity there, right? So the Sardinian nationalist movement wants to do the same thing the Corsican movement. By the way, Sardinia is like two and a half times the size of Corsica. It's a big place, right? I think the capital is Cagliari. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, they wanted to get uh, like government devolution, so where they had their own government, further uh, autonomy within the Italian Republic, 
and then later uh, independence outright, promotes the protection of the island's environment and preservation of its cultural heritage. It's been char characterized by periodical waves of ethno-nationalist ethno protests against Rome. Sardinian movement has its origins definitely on the left, regionalism and attempts for Sardinian self-determination historically countered in the fact that Rome-centric Italian nationalism and fascism, which eventually managed to contain the autonomous and separatist tendencies. Over the years, many Sardist parties from different ideological backgrounds have emerged even on the right and center, all being the minority, and with some of them making government coalitions of variable geometry uh, within the statewide Italian parties. For instance, it also happened in 2014 Sardinia regional election where the combined result of all nationalist parties have been 26% of the votes. So again, these are not, it's not like um, Northern Ireland, for example, where you're going to see like, you know, the numbers have changed over time. First of all, there's large participation. And then secondly, for the first time, I think in history, it was in 2019, the quote nationalist voters outnumbered the unionist ones. In this case, you just see those numbers kind of skydive. They're not really, it's not a growing movement whatsoever. So it all goes back to Spain. So the House of Savoy took over from uh, the Spanish uh, in 1720. So this is yet another, again, all of these islands. In fact, if you think Malta, Malta still has a permanent military base owned by the British there. So like there's always, the continental powers are always looking for, and these are very huge naval advantages back in the day, even now. Think of Gibraltar. Gibraltar is still owned by the British. They are not going home. They're not having it. And I don't know if anybody knows where Gibraltar is, but it's right there. It's the closest point uh, where Spain, the Iberian Peninsula, and Morocco are. So it's like the entryway. It is the vagina of the Mediterranean Sea. Mm -hmm. Yes, this is the uh, labia majora or what have you. It's one of the lips on the vagina of the... Anyway, you get the point. You got to get in there to get into the Mediterranean Sea. And the Brits are like, we own this rock. We control it. It's our lake. Uh, but back, this has been going back and forth between. I mean, if you look at some of these wars that have gone on through history with these islands changing hands, including Sicily, too, uh, the kingdom of the two Sicilies. But guess what? All of these places were visited by Vikings as well. Uh, that's why you'll have people that look like me in some of these places. Like, how the fuck did that happen? Well, Vikings show up and fucking rape the population. That's how it happens. I mean, that's just the way it works. Uh, but to, to a lesser extent, the Sardinians were not didn't have the same active um, you know, timeline as, say, uh, the Corsicans did. Like there's a little bit of violence here and there. But at the same time, a lot of it was anti-fascism as much as it was like a, a political action on behalf of trying to get Sardinia to be its own country, to be more autonomous. But it's a very it's a very left leaning island of voters. I guess you could look at it that way. Right. A little bit more, I mean, you do see some favoritism to the Communist Party of Italy, but at the end of the day, that's what really what it is all about. And again, they, they feel like they want to be a little bit more left alone and some on the extreme completely independent. Um, even in the 21st century, the Sardinian nationalist movement is rather disjointed and lacking unity, composed mostly of several local and scattered grassroots organizations across the island that do not have a clear central policymaking authority, and besides, the different nationalist subgroups often disagree with each other on key issues. Sardinian nationalists address a number of issues such as environmental damage caused by military forces. In fact, 60% of such bases in Italy are located on the island of Sardinia. 
the financial and economic exploitation of island resources by the Italian state and maintained industrialists, the lack of any political representation in both Italy and the European Parliament due to an unbalanced electoral consistency that remains to this day. Sardinia has not had its, uh, its own member of the European Parliament since 1994. The nuclear power and waste on which a referendum was proposed by a Sardis party being held in 2011, and the ongoing process of depopulation and Italianization that would destroy Sardinian indigenous culture. So that's what they're grappling with right now. In 2012, a vote on the Sardinian assembly to pass an independence referendum bill failed by one single vote. One vote is all it took. In 2017, a Sardinian independence campaigner going by the name of Salvatore Meloni died after a two-month hunger and thirst strike while imprisoned in Utah. How come only one vote? Uh, I guess somebody didn't agree. <laughs> okay. What are you going to do? I, mm, I don't know. If you look at the, it, like we have the statistics, folks, we have the numbers, we have the documents. If you look at the support for this stuff, I mean, in 2004, you had a total of 27% of the electorate favoring these uh, more uh, separatist uh, parties. Okay. Then it dips down to 21%. And then you see a slight increase in 2014 for 33%. And now in 2019, the latest statistics we have available that's back down to 28%. I mean, 13 seats that are being held. It's really, yeah. It's really not like I'm sure that the, the I'm sure there are people that are like, yeah, it would be nice to have this happen. But at the same time, I think they're also very reliant on the Italian government too, probably for subsidies for the social welfare state stuff like that, because that's how they get you, right? I mean, you need a check and there's no job. Well, you're gonna have that welfare net that's gonna save you. So that's um, that's what we had for this week. Uh, these two very small separatist movements in the mediterranean that i mean i don't think a lot of people really pay attention to and i think that's kind of their whole problem is like we're tired of being ignored you know it's um it's a very interesting part of uh, uh of european history i always like to get into you know we'll be talking more as we move on uh the the uh, what is it uh, the independence movement of catalan which is based in barcelona uh there's a huge uh independence movement there uh, lots of places across the continent. I mean, it's it just goes to show that human beings are not really a monolith. There's there's a lot of differences between us. And, of course, here in the U.S. and day, we don't really get to hear a whole heck of a lot of it unless it's incredibly violent, like the IRA, for example, very well known here. And not to mention there's a lot of Irish people in this country who may or may not have thrown support to those individuals. They will remain nameless. Um, but nonetheless, that's uh that's what we had uh for this week so i hope that you uh were able to learn something new about these very interesting and marginal separatist groups from corsica and sardinia so i don't have anything else i would like to turn it over to my friends if we want to talk about anything else while we have everybody we'll start off with christopher bit shoot ah <laughs> angel did he beat you to it I guess, yeah. All right, okay. <laughs> Anything else, Christopher? Uh, wipe your ass. <laughs> Another fine piece of advice. Angel, do you have anything before we uh, part company today? Um, no, I don't really have anything. Okay. Um, there was an update for people who don't 
know or maybe they followed um the long island serial killer so, so like these ah. you know murders had you know taken place over you know x amount of time and it took 13 years for the police to catch the real killer because the police chief at the time um it's called uh gilgo beach and the police chief at the time i guess he was what beach gilgo g-i-l-g-o gilgo i I thought you said dildo (laughs) beach okay okay if only if only um so basically the chief of police um you you know was fucking prostitutes left and right (laughs) And, you know, doing shit that he wasn't supposed to be doing and these fucking, you know, murders popped up and like the FBI got involved and they were trying to like, you know, figure out who did the murders. Well, like he blocked them at every turn because he knew that they were all he they were going to go talk to the prostitutes, right? Because these prostitutes fucking are coming up, you know, missing, dead, whatever. Oh, Jesus. And they only stumbled across this. um <laughs> They ended up finding these uh, bodies buried in the sand in burlap sacks um, and found a bunch of fucking dead people, right? So, <laughs> a dead prostitutes, women. Um, wow. So, of course, he's like, I don't want them, like, knowing that I fucked these prostitutes and I'm, you know, rough with them. So, he, like, just kept blocking the investigation to protect him own, his own self. He ended up being arrested, but people started to think, like, he was the one who did it. Well, it turns out it was this other guy who was, like, an architect and, like, you know, a member of the community and all mm-hmm. that. And I don't know how they caught him. Like, I'm still, like, I haven't really had a chance to, like, read everything or figure out how they caught him yet. But very interesting because it was unsolved for so long. And, like, it's pretty cool that, you know, they caught him. So, you know, the victims and the the families can, you know, finally get their justice. If there is any. Well, let's let's hope so. Yeah. So there's that. But that's all. That's all I have. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Um, One thing that's not separatist related, just a little bit of news before we depart. There is um, there, there are negotiations currently between UPS uh, and the Teamsters uh, Union, uh, f- you know, with regard to the collective bargaining agreement. There is the threat of a strike happening. And for those of you who like to do a lot of online ordering, let me tell you right now, if UPS stops running, you a lot of people are going to be very unhappy. And these dudes bust these uh, dudes, ladies, all of them, they bust their ass. It's a tough job putting up with driving with the fucking public, delivering on time. Um, and, you know, I've never really had a problem with UPS, like any damaged package, any of that stuff. FedEx, you never know where you're going to get that fucking thing. I mean, FedEx kind of does whatever they want, you know. Uh, but um, we, uh, we're solidarity with UPS and the workers. Uh, hopefully they get what they deserve. And uh, the Teamsters, you know, they usually do take pretty good care of them. So uh, my best wishes to the uh, workers at UPS. Full support. Stand by the people who make life a lot better for all of us and deliver the shit that we order online. So with that being said, I'd like to thank uh, Christopher and Angel. Angel, thank you for that nice little tidbit. I mean, that's uh, I I never thought that would be something that we would hear. Uh, But um, I'm glad that they uh, like you said, I hope the family sees some justice out of this. Be nice. I'd like to take this opportunity, of course, to thank our sponsors, the Gorsnexus.com. 
Ray Fob, a fine art and design from the Great Lakes. I paint Aqua, where all accidents are happy accidents. Team Mandalore, who keeps cycling very, very weird. Okay? And, of course, don't forget about our friend Bobby at Fairly Decent Golf. Check him out on the Instagram and, of course, the TikTok. Great videos. Funny, funny stuff, even if you're not a huge golf person. It's, it, it's a lot of fun. But ladies and gentlemen, let's begin to talk about the largest organ that you have, which is your skin. I don't know about the rest of you, but right now it's late in the evening. It's still 78 degrees outside, high humidity, which means only one thing for those of you who have a tackle box, the bollocks, the ball bag, the coin purse, your dick and balls, ball vinegar becomes a very real problem here. Uh, It is just super hot. It's super moist. Uh, Conditions are right just for you to be ripe. Okay. You don't want that to happen. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the next big holiday we have coming up is what? Labor Day. Crazy to think about it, but that's the next big one. Three days off, okay? You know, there's a lot of people having that last barbecue of the summer, getting together, talking about the things that you weren't able to do when you planned to do them in April, going into May. You didn't meet up, but you're meeting up now. Maybe this is the first opportunity that your family's had a chance to get together. Been a busy summer. And here you are at the barbecue smelling like shit. (laughs) here you are at the barbecue smelling like ball vinegar and believe me if you if you can smell it other people can smell it trust me the only way to remedy this is to check out akron apothecary and get your hands on some of that gay soap gay soap has the ability to fight ball vinegar it will ass fuck the ball vinegar to death with these homemade hand-pressed cold-pressed soaps made from gay hands for your supple ass the ball vinegar gone. You won't even notice the punches and the deep fucking that this soap is going to give to this stink. You'll just be like, oh, I'm so fresh and clean. There's a war going on in your pants, ladies and gentlemen, while this soap is doing its job, protecting you from stink, stank, all the disgusting things in your fat folds, belly button, underarms, under tit, all of it. We have it covered. Todd's Gay Soap from Akron Apothecary. Please check it out. Patronize, help out. Todd's a good guy. You'd like to throw him. He's a, a, an old sponsor of ours, a friend of ours, a good man. Please check out Akron Apothecary, Todd's Gay Soap, because Todd's Gay Soap is... Oh, oh that ass. And if you want someone to eat that booty, you better power wash that duty. Use Todd's Gay Soap. Dang. <laughs> Bravo. I love it. Hey, love you guys. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. Later. Gorlami.